You're listening to the Irish Times. Said it before, Pat, and say it again. Hurling bends towards the light. Whatever else is wrong with the world, we'll always have hurling. Yeah, in, in a, a spectacular weekend of sport, I, I, I completely felt that the Limerick and Kilkenny game in Thurdus yesterday was just sort of ground-shakingly brilliant. Um, Limerick edged it in a breathless finale, but uh, one of my favourite things of the weekend was that at the full-time whistle, I texted a friend of mine who was in Thurdus, mm. and I think my text just said, wow. And he was a complete neutral. He's neither from Kilkenny nor Limerick. And his response was just, my hands are shaking. Yeah. It was that sort of <laughs> death-defyingly exciting yeah. and exhilarating. Uh, and especially the last 10 minutes of it were, were just yeah. extraordinary yeah. stuff. I was in Crook Park um, at the same time I was at the Monaghan Kildare game. But uh, I kept getting a text from you. <laughs> like we were sort of informing each other of the score of, of the matches. And I was kind of going, ah, oh, yeah, this is this is kind of exciting, you know. And, and the Monaghan Kildare match was kind of exciting. Uh, but like, you know, you're you're not talking really about the, the same universe compared to what was going on in Thurles. Yeah, it does feel like that. Uh, like you were saying earlier in the season that the Munster Championship this year has been particularly good and they, they got lucky because all the teams are of a of a level mm. and the Super 8s you wonder after the weekend if they're going to get unlucky are the teams too stratified for us to have a Super True, 8 yeah. if you know what I mean but in a year of terrific games I do think that this was the best of them uh, in, and a part of it is sometimes you wonder you pick the game of the season and you, it's, it can often be when Kilkenny lose and it's not an insult to Kilkenny at all mm, it's actually mm. the highest same compliment. sort of thing you used to always happen to Kerry yeah exactly yeah, yeah. because it's so hard to take them down I mean especially with this Kilkenny team because first of all we know they're good mm. second of all they always die hard so they you, really do they really do so you know that if you beat them you have earned every bit of it and Yesterday, like the game had some strange contradictions going into it in that by the time you hit the last 10 minutes, I think it was with 20 minutes to go, Richie Hogan hit a wide. And at that point, Kilkenny had 14 points and 15 wides, which you can say Kilkenny are pucking this game away here. But equally so, Owen Murphy at the other end had pulled off three of the greatest saves that you'll ever see mm. in one game. Yeah. And... You, Not well, enough for him to get man of the match in the Sunday game, but Which was go. ludicrous, <laughs> to be fair. But like if if any other goalkeeper had been standing between the posts, Limerick would have had three goals minimum. Exactly. And and would have been out of sight. And so there's there's those contradictions going on. There was the rain on the dry pitch, and the fact that and, and I do think that this had James McGraw ref the game, and he basically swallowed the whistle. Mm. There was twelve frees in the entire game. You texted me that last night, and I I wondered, did you mean that Kilkenny got twelve frees? Because I I was saying that, and I watched the Sunday game, and like Kilkenny definitely, definitely should have had a free uh, over in the left touchline. TJ Reid got absolutely horsed out of it, and there was no free, and it was, and um, was Dan Morrissey or Tom Morrissey went down the other end of the pitch and, and scored Tom Morrissey the yeah. go ahead point. And uh, I was go and I, when you texted back to say that there was twelve frees in the game, I thought you meant that Kilkenny only got twelve frees, but you meant there was twelve frees in the game. Yeah, uh, so you could at least say on a rainy day, that's that's amazing. There were blatant frees not yeah. given. There was a number of times actually, Michael Dyden referred to on the television with players going for balls, bending their back as they're meant to do, clearly getting pushed in the back mm. and not getting frees. 
but at least he was consistent in that he gave nobody freeze. <laughs> and uh, but that it all just kind of lifted the game gradually. The, kind of the vice was tightening the whole time. And as soon as Richie Hogan got that goal, you thought, "Wow, Kilkenny are amazing here. Mm. Um, they just will not lose." Whether the caveat of it being their third week out in a row comes into it, I don't know. Brian Cody absolutely um, ignored that as, as a possible excuse. But from there, Limerick, Limerick's response was incredible because mm. Tom Morrissey caught a ball out of the sky and stuck it straight over the bar. And then there was that point. Now, admittedly, a Kilkenny player was clotheslined in the mm. build-up to it, but it ended with Peter Casey um, striking a point. And then a short while later, Aaron Gillan having the, the clarity of thought that was all over the Limerick team to set up Shane Dowling for, for a point. And that response was, it was just, it was, what was really impressive it was the kind of thing that you'd imagine Kilkenny doing to another team. Yeah. But Kilkenny, I heard some people use the phrase that, oh, Limerick threw off the shackles. I hate that phrase in the last few minutes. But they didn't. Yeah. Limerick don't have shackles. No. They have a, a brilliant game plan and they stuck to that game plan. And that's plan. the way they've been and playing all year. Yeah, all year. Yeah. And it was just fantastic entertainment. Yeah. Uh, I... I'm sorry to see Kilkenny go. I know I know that in general they are they are the evil empire and have been for most of the, the past decade and a half. But my God, there is something so admirable about them. Yeah. And Cody. And just what Cody can get out of people. Like what Richie Lahey was doing yesterday, John Donnelly, these lads coming in and adding, 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 getting better and better refusing to wilt. Mm. They're, they're, they're such an admirable culture, almost, of, of just refusing to bend. Yeah. They are... In, uh, and Because they're not as good. They're, they're absolutely not as good as they were. They're a patched-up team. You know, they didn't have Wally Walsh yesterday. Richie Hogan uh, was is just kind of getting back to himself. I felt a bit sorry for him yesterday. Richie Hogan, like three years ago, was giving an interview going, I hate playing four games in a year. Mm. I want a league system where I can get playing week after week after week and it finally comes along and he has an injury for nearly all of it. So I felt sorry for him. But like just the, the sheer will of these guys is incredible. And you, he is not quite himself. Like he, he scored 1-3 yesterday yeah. and he was brilliant. Yeah. But the Should Richie Hogan of a few yeah. years ago would have exactly 1-6 yeah. or 1-7. Yeah. But um, and, and this is almost a stupid comparison because Kilkenny are so successful and Mayo are the opposite. Mm. But in a way, the two teams bring that to their own championships this sort of refusal to die and a, a spirit that you can't but admire and we were uh, watching it, I was watching Sunday game last night with my wife and she goes uh, do you think will Cody will, that, will, will Cody finally give it up now I went not a hope I really hope not I don't think so I think he thinks he'll win the All-Ireland next year and he might yeah mm. Anyway, that's the hurling. Uh, we have a whole lot coming up later on. Uh, we're going to talk to Emmett Malone in a few minutes uh, on his way home from the World Cup. Uh, we have Keith Duggan, who enjoyed slash endured a whole full weekend of the Super 8s in Croke Park. And we'll have Ian O'Reardon on to talk about our latest fantastic athletics uh, achievements. Uh, but first off, we're going to chat to Emmett. He's on his way back from Moscow. Uh, Emmett, whereabouts are you? Istanbul Airport at the moment, hanging out... Uh Hanging out in the Carlucci house, uh, having a spot of breakfast, stroke, lunch, stroke, dinner, stroke, something. I'm not quite sure what. How it counts. A bit of breakfast, breakfast ravioli, but in, uh, towards the end of a 36, 48 hour day, something like that. So figure it out there. Yeah, I'm not too sure. 
Everybody uh, that I've spoken to this morning has a bit of a World Cup hangover, but uh, I guess yours must be uh, must be more pronounced than everybody else's, considering that you know you have actually yeah, yeah, been there. Yeah, still kind of coming to terms slightly with the fact that it's over and I'm not in Russia anymore. Uh, <laughs> it's um, it's it, it it really feels like I was there forever. Um, and um, and I don't mean you know I don't mean that in the worst of ways. It was a good trip and I enjoyed it hugely and saw a lot of places I'd never seen before and. Like everybody else who I think covered the tournament or just about everybody else who I've spoken to or read you know, pieces by, uh, I was really quite taken with the whole thing. And, um, and the way they did it, I thought they pulled it off pretty well. I thought the people were wonderful. Cities were interesting. But it's also been a long tournament. And, um, and uh, I suppose, you know, the last couple of days, it's funny, funny kind of getting, getting my head around the fact that it was coming to an end. And, um, and, an, and an exciting final. Not a, not a great final, I don't think, but, um, but certainly an exciting and entertaining one. So uh, it's, it's good to go out on, with something like that. But let's talk about the football. Um, I think the, in, in general, it, it, I think we generally accept that probably the best team won the World Cup. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think that uh, I think they were the best team. Uh, they're certainly the best team I saw. And they beat some other good teams along the way. And uh, I think they earned the right to, uh, to win the World Cup. Um, I think that we, you know, England talked an awful lot about that um, strong half, weak half of the draw. And we sort of saw the upshot of that uh, in the end last night where Croatia weren't really just, they just didn't have it in them in the end to, uh, to make a great match of it. Because I think, you know, it would have been interesting that final, certainly if France had played the way they did in the first half against a better side. Uh, but I think uh, they, they, having been irked somewhat by the way the English talked about them possibly being tired, Croatia just didn't seem to be at their, at their best completely. And, uh, and they had looked dead on the feet at the end of the semi-final. So um, perhaps that had an impact. But France beat them and they beat better sides than them. Uh, they beat a good Belgian team. They beat a good, you know, oh, like an OK Argentina team. And they beat them in different ways, slightly different ways at least. And um, uh, the kind of the degree to which they, they you know, took, took the running of the game on, the degree to which they um, sat back and defended and caught teams on the break. And, um, yeah, I think what they do, you know, I, I appreciate that what they do isn't to everybody's taste and everyone would love, you know, every team to be a France or a Spain or a Germany or, you know, uh, going out there and, um, you know, moving the ball around swiftly, um, a lot of passing, a lot of movement. And, um exciting kind of uh, positive football but um, what France do I mean they found they struck a formula that, that worked and uh, and I, I think they're, they're, they're worthy winners I suppose Emmett suitably for maybe for a World Cup that's on in Russia it was there was a triumph of the collective over individuals really wasn't there France France were a proper team. I'm not sure that's, uh, that, you know, that's wildly appropriate to modern-day Russia. Uh, but, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's your, your kind of furry hat with a star on it, Russia. Um, um, yeah, but there the was that about it, definitely. Uh, I think, you know, I, I think Deschamps is to be admired for what he did in the, in the sense that um, I think what they attempted to do a couple of years ago in France at the European Championships was a slightly more positive model. Uh, there was a slightly different style, style of football. Um, I think that um, Griezmann was more of the focus of the attacking side of the team. And in the meantime, you know, Mbappe comes along, but they also change a bunch of other players. I mean, I think, he, you know, it's hugely um, brave of him to, to bring in two, you know, young players as fullbacks in the run-up to the tournament. No competitive football, essentially, under their belts before the tournament. Uh, the five of that side changed from... Um, from two years ago. So he's taken the team that was very, very narrowly beaten in, by Portugal in the European Championships at home. And rather than saying, like, we've come very close, okay, I, I appreciate a couple of them were, 
were were getting onto the stage where they you know sticking with him wasn't really an option. But but there were others that they certainly could have stuck with, and and instead he's you know those five that starting lineup last night was different from the starting lineup in 2016. None of the subs who came on um, or in 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 Paris uh, were involved last night. So he's, he's you know he's ripped it up and and gone back to the drawing board and and you know looked at it again and see how to make them into winners and he's changed that. And it has involved some, you know, um, fine-tuning the defensive play, re- you know, reordering the balance of, of the team. And, uh, and Mbappe has obviously come along and given them, you know, a huge injection of pace, which, which allows them to play that game, uh, you know, um, very, very effectively. But he, they've done it very well. And um, they were a little bit up and down over the tournament. I think that's to be expected. As I say, I think it's a little bit pity uh, of a pity that they didn't, you know, even if they scored four goals in the final, and I think, you know, if you score four goals in the World Cup final, you probably think you've, uh, you've earned it. Um, but it's a little bit of a pity, I think, that certainly their first half display wasn't a little more commanding last night, because I think that would have added something to the kind of, um, or done, done a little bit more to silence the critics today. But, I, you know, I, 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 I don't, for me, there's very little doubt that they were, they were the best side over the course of the tournament. And it is interesting, Emmett, the way you say, you know, even reference silence in the critics. Like, I I, I, I came across the uh, the L'Equipe uh, match ratings this morning. They gave they gave Ingolo yeah. Kante a three in, in a World Cup final. And for, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, and Matui- Matuidi a four and Varane a five. Like... There is that idea that sorry, sorry, Emma, but there is that idea yeah. that that they just they haven't won everybody over, even though that they've won the World Cup. Well, uh, you know what? Like it is. Uh, I don't know. Uh, this were, these were ratings on the actual final, right? Yeah, not on yeah, the tournament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, Kante had a great tournament, but he had a poor final. Mm. And 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 I, I think you say much the same about Varane. Um, uh, I mean, these fans noticeably improved when they replaced Kante in the game, mm. um, and, and Zanzi came on and. Uh, Suddenly they looked a good deal more solid in, in midfield, and uh, and, it, and it just spread through the team. Uh, I think the two centre backs have had a very good tournament, particularly for Anthony. for me. I thought he was terrific. Um, but again, I, you know, they were they were very uncertain in the match last night. Early on, every time Croatia attacked, um, France really kind of looked anxious, and um, there seemed to be a bit of confusion between the centre backs and the uh, and the, the goalkeeper uh, and, and and both fullbacks. I mean, Croatia, I think, uh, attempted to sort of. Um, to, to see what they were made of defensively because, you know, nobody had really succeeded in doing that over the course of the tournament. So it's interesting, I, I, but I do agree with you. I don't think they did win everybody over. And I think, um, I you know, uh, I think Ken in the piece on Saturday sort of compared them to, to a Mourinho team. Mm. Or, you know, like he's very closely compared them to a Mourinho team. And there's a, certainly a touch of that about them. You know, there's a touch of the very effective uh, defending um, I think they probably uh, attack more extravagantly um, than, than most Mourinho teams and more effectively. Um, but I think the thing about that, the key thing about that is that, you know, if they had, um, if you win, it's fine. If you win, you know, for, for, for Deschamps to go back, you know, to, to take a, look, a step back, take a look at the team um, that, that lost the final in 2016 and say, how do we change things here? How do we improve them? How do we make this a tournament winning team? Uh, and then to pull that off is, is, is a remarkable feat. I think if he makes the football more negative and the outcome is the same, I, they don't win, then he's got real problems. Mm. Um, uh, I do think it is, you know, you, you, can, you can come away with your head held high from, you know, uh, managing a team with that array of talent. And there's a hell of a lot of talent in that side. Um, if you really try to play the beautiful game and it hasn't quite come off. Um, 
but uh, but if, if if you if if you play the odds or the percentages to any any extent and uh, and you come up short, then uh, you're gonna you're gonna kind of um, people are gonna have a stick to beat you with. Um, so in a, in a sense, I guess it, it, it's a question of the ETN just find the means. Um, uh, they, they they won the tournament. They're worthy champions, and um, and I think that uh, I, I think that will make it very 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 difficult for anyone back home in France to uh, seriously uh, criticise that team. Where it goes from here is another thing. He has talked endlessly through this tournament before, long before it became apparent that they were going to win it. And you know, but but again, last night after the victory, um, he talks about the potential of this group. You know that. <coughs> excuse me. Obviously, Mbappe is 19. Talked about whether he would be a world champion again. Talked about the likes of uh, Pavard and Hernandez, uh, how young they are, how much potential they have to grow as a group. Um, and it will be interesting to see how they grow stylistically as a group, whether, whether this becomes the, you know, the imprint uh, that they operate to uh, go, you know, going into the next European champion, champion, mm. championships. Or whether, on the other hand, um, he feels perhaps now that they have won a tournament, that they have gained all the experience that they were lacking up until this point, that they can, you know, that they can try something more expansive. But um, but it's a hell of a base to start with. They have yeah. a, a, a really terrific, uh, a really terrific group, and um, and they're World Cup winners. And, and that's um, that's not a bad that's not a bad way to, to move forward. And for uh, for Croatia, Emmett, I was thinking about them this morning. Um, I I kind of get the feeling, and it's the day after the World Cup, so it's very early to be saying yeah. things like this. But I kind of get the feeling that Croatia will be sort of be. OK, they didn't win the World Cup, but they'd be one of the team that people remember from this World Cup. You know, a kind of a not not the same sort of skill level as a Brazil 82, but the team that, yeah. you know, 10, 15 years from now when you go, remember the 2018 World Cup? Oh, man, remember that Croatia team? There was just no end to them. They kept going. They kept playing. Um, like, it's not winning the World Cup, but it's not it's not a bad second prize to go away with. No, no. I, I mean, I, I think I mentioned in, in the paper the other day uh, the story of uh, Brian Kerr. He used to talk about the uh, coach he used to meet when um, I think he was still in charge of the under-19s at the time. And they go, he'd go to various uh, coaching conferences around Europe and he'd meet this, uh, this Croatian coach. It was in the wake of, of 1998 where they'd finished third. And the guy would introduce himself as, hey, you know, like I'm, you know... Um, uh, you know, I, I don't know, whatever. I'm Jan, and I, I'm I'm from Croatia, who finished third in the World Cup, um, and that was kind of you know they were so proud of that, and it was such a huge achievement for them. It's very early days for Croatian football in, in terms of independence. I think it was only their second tournament. Um, what they've done here is absolutely astonishing. Uh, the number of people they have, the money, you know, the the, the wealth in the country, the level of wealth in the country, the the, the, the club football situation. The scandal that they had uh, coming into the tournament, which you know uh, has Luka Modric facing um, the possibility, looked a likelihood before the tournament. I'm not quite so sure now yeah. uh, of a of a perjury trial. Um, I mean, it was just so much there to derail a team's preparations, to unsettle a squad, to you know. I mean, I, I've, you know, there are a lot of Croatians who are surprised that Modric continues to play for the national team and, and that he took part in this World Cup. It says so much about him as an individual and a player that uh, that he, he was so central to everything they did in the tournament and, and really outstanding to you know I don't think anyone begrudge him his best player award, um, but they have been absolutely the story of the tournament to get to where they did to this you know to come from behind in in in, in well including the final I know obviously they ultimately lost but they they just kept coming from behind in games and um, they showed tremendous character 
a lot of skill. Modric, the outstanding individual, but again, a, a great story about the collective because um, because really outside of the, you know they had Rakitic and they had uh, uh, Perisic in the in, in the last couple of games really really kind of stood out. But um, uh, they, they they have four or five players there who really you would consider very much you know more run of the mill in in terms of high quality international football and yet they've had a, a, a tremendous tournament so i agree with you yeah i think i think when this when people do look back on this tournament uh they will lo- look at them and what they achieved and how close they came but unfortunately age-wise uh, you know unlike the french i think that was i mean you know i don't think they would have regarded it as their big chance to win a tournament beforehand but with hindsight that's what it was they uh they came within an hour or so of 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 winning a World Cup, and um, and uh, I, I, you know, <clears throat> I, I, unfortunately, I, that is probably as, as good as it's going to get for them. They're, they're now looking at uh, replacing key members of the squad over time, and um, and probably you know building again to some extent. Well, I certainly hope, Emmett, that uh, you now get your last flight home uh, in a couple of <laughs> hours uh, and that uh, you turn off or indeed burn your phone and uh, and and all uh, technological equipment you brought with you and uh, basically don't uh, show your face in here for a month or so. Um, thanks Thank you very much. I, I know how heartfelt that would be coming from an Irish time colleague. Yeah, but I, I still have a wrap-up piece to write. And, uh, and I, I was going to say that I've been sitting next to Boris Johnson's dad here in Carluccio in Istanbul Airport listening to him uh, Good um, Stanley. very loudly on the phone at the table next door. And I was going to go back to him, but he seems to be on the move, sadly. So I missed that. The entertainment, the entertainment dead between now and flight time. Listen, thanks a million, Emmett. Take care of yourself. Cheers, Malachi. See you, Pat. Talk to you soon. For the second weekend in a row, we are suddenly an underage athletics powerhouse. Uh, two silver medals came home from the World Under-20 Championships in Finland. Summer Lecky from the Finn Valley Club in Donegal uh, took silver in the high jump, amazingly, for Irish athletes. And he, almost more amazingly for Irish athletes, we took a silver in the 100 meters, 4 by 100 meters relay. Uh, the team of Gina Apke, Moses, Patience, Jumbo Gula, Molly Scott and Kira Neville with help from in the earlier rounds from Rashidat Adeliki. Who better to come on and tell us all about it and all about where this has come from than athletics correspondent and extraordinary Ian O'Reardon. Ian, how are you doing? Yes, good day Maliki. It is it's the second weekend in a row which must be something of a record in itself. Um, but look, six medals in ten days uh, across the two underage championships is certainly exceptional. Um, now, no one is getting carried away. Mm. I think, as I keep saying all along, these are the kind of things you kind of you kind of talk up and talk down at the same time. Um, I suppose what made this weekend's success a little different, this was the World Junior, World Under-20 Championships, was this is not so much a stepping stone to the senior stage as, as, as a real taste of it. Um, you go back and look at the likes of Usain Bolt, Haile Gabriel-Lassie, these, these all kind of, this is where they first made their name in the sport. So the level of competition is... It's, it's properly global and it's properly competitive and all of those words. So to win two medals there um, in, two, in two very different events, the high jump and the 4 by 100 meter relay, which I don't think anybody would consider as sort of powerhouse. Like these aren't the sort of the, the skinny white distance runners that we're used to producing. So um, on that front, it is certainly different. It's exceptional. It's exciting. All, all those words. But um, I think to quote, to quote a famous artist, there's nothing, there's nothing more common in, in, in sport than wasted talent. So yeah. the, the, the real question now is how does talent is, is, is um, developed at that final stage? Because it really only is one step up from yeah. here to the senior stage. Um, 
for those for those relay those relay women and and somewhere like in the high jump. I mean, her 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 silver medal winning height, by the way, one point nine oh meters. That that qualifies her for a European senior championships next month in Berlin. Um, it's the highest jump by an Irish woman in in a long time. So again, these aren't just like they're not just sort of developing performances. Mm. They are actually proper uh, proper athletic performances. Again, with the uh, the junior women, they broke the Irish sorry, they broke they broke the junior record, but they're only point seven off the Irish senior over one hundred meter record. So again, quality performances that that aren't just sort of like suggesting that there's potential there. This, this is actual genuine potential. So the, this is what I want to get into a little bit, Ian. And I, I, I think your points last week were, were very well made. You know, there's no point getting ahead of ourselves. There's no point, you know, even, and even at this level, although, you know, as you say, it's an obvious step up and they're not far off senior and all that sort of stuff. I, th- there's no point in us projecting too far into the future or even really asking what, what, what comes next. I think what... Well, because that will be that's questions for another day, and that's what's going to happen. But I think what's interesting here, certainly interesting to me, as a as a very casual observer in a, of athletics uh, in general, is I'm really interested in where has all this come from? Because there was no sense that that this was coming down the line. I know. Possibly uh, with some of the sprinters, and, and certainly with Gina Apkin Moses last year, there, there was a sense that maybe something could be coming along. But a four by one hundred uh, meter relay team, a high jumper, where has all of this come from? Yeah, no, and it's a very good question, Maliki, for, for a couple of reasons. I mean, number one, if you ask me, kind of what links them together, uh, is the, is the fact that there is no link that they're yeah. all kind of it's all fragmented. And we haven't, we certainly haven't become sort of like some sort of conveyor belt of underage talent and to say that, you know, and I think Athletic Ireland deserves some credit here because, you know, they have, there has been a, a big improvement in, in facilities. But a lot of this is actually the volunteer coaches, the sort of the grassroots coaches. I mean, we still only have, we've only appointed one full-time, when I say we, this is Athletics Ireland, obviously, we've only, they've only appointed one full-time director of, of sprinting. This month, actually, Daniel Kilgallen out in, um, in Tallow, we still don't have a full-time distance running coach we still don't have a full-time field events coach so it's certainly not anything to do with suddenly massively improving system per se but but what it is it's that volunteer it's that grassroots of the sport and you, and you take you take you take summer lecky's a perfect example i mean she's from the finn valley club up in stranola and you know east donegal i mean this is the classic rural club founded in the 1970s it was a man patsy mcgonigal who'd be quite well known to irish athletics who just built that club from from the ground up and I think someone like you joined that club when she was 10. Uh, you know, they kind of immediately kind of said, well, you're tall, you might make a good high jumper. So she got into the sport at that age and, and loved it. And, you know, here we are six, seven years later, she's a, a world a world junior silver medalist. So that, that's one example. Sarah Healy, the, the, the distance running girl from Black Rock, and same thing, I mean, came up through school. She played hockey. She played a bit of women's football. And there was a young coach called Owen Marnell who just spotted her talent and just took her aside and said, look, this, this is possible. So it's, it's very much kind of, I, mean, I wouldn't say in spite of the system, but it's not like there's been one kind of mastermind or one master stroke going on here. It's all been kind of a little bit fragmented. And again, if you look at the situation with the women's relay team, um, you know, they've all, they've all, I mean, there's been two factors here. I mean, there was always kind of talent at that age, but, but then you, you bring in the likes of Regina Pimosas, who obviously, you know, with her African background, Nigerian background, and the same as um, Rashid Adelaide has come in from Nigeria, but, you know, they've, they've, they've They've kind of they've been inclusive into the sport. They've been brought into the sport, and their their talent's been recognised for what it is. I mean, they have they do have an exceptional sprinting ability. There's no point no point in denying that. So they brought 
but that's been that's been tapped into by the Irish system, and they're, they're kind of products of that as well. So it's 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 that full it's that kind of melting pot of influences, I suppose. Um, but I still think to answer your question, like there's, there's definitely a lot more to, to be done in terms of, and I think I think other sports have what what they call integration officers, maybe to bring more of those kind of immigrants into the sport. But most of all, I think there's still a need for more full time coaches in the Irish athletic system, which they, which they are appointing, in fairness. Like, they are, they get, they're getting there. But if that hasn't, that hasn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily explain what we've seen over the last, over the last two weeks now. Yeah. Uh, Ian, the other thing that links all the medals that we've won in the last uh, 10 days or so is that they're all um, by women. Uh, is yeah. there, is, does that just show up, what you're saying, that it's a completely random uh, situation that we're in, or is there something deeper going on there? Yeah, yeah, no, it is. I think a bit, a bit of both. Yeah, I think, I think it's certainly it is random. Like you know, and there, and there are some, um, you know, I mean, a lot, we we still have some good distance runners like Kevin Mulcair out in America doing doing quite well. Sean Tobin is a, is a top class modeler. He just he just finished off in college in America. I think we're going to hear a bit more of him in the next few years. So we still have a decent enough crop of, of men's distance runners. I'm going to put sprinters coming through as well, but. But I think I think the difference with the women is it goes back to the obvious question. So the obvious sort of situation where success breeds success, and we've seen that with the with the women's relay team, both all of whom, by the way, have won medals before at some stage, whether it's European Youth Olympics or or junior, like I think it was last year's um, or two years ago at the European Youth Olympic Festival. Again, this is like under 15, but again, very young. Like Gina Acton Moses was, was on that team. So was Keira Neville. And, and so was Molly Scott. So they, they've kind of they, they kind of bonded together from an early age, which explains why they they they've come together as well. But other than that, no, I think it's just it goes back to my point. It, it actually is quite random. You know, it's not like it's not like athletics aren't have a point as they uh, sort of a women's athletics coordinated to sort of seek out women's talent. But it, it's clearly there, and it's clearly come come to uh, come to light now. And and again, I think if you look at the situation with Irish women sprinting, and this this is this is where it's exciting, and we all know like. I mean, the drop-off rate, especially in women's sport, more so than men's sport, but in women's mm. sport, is, is huge. I mean, Across all about, the sports, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, you talk, I, mean if, if, I think it's 25% of, of, um, of, say, junior athletes go on to do anything on the senior stage. But I think the difference with the, with the, with the, with the women's team is they all, they're, all, they're all kind of feeding off each other now, and they're all, kind of, um, they're, all, they're all kind of on the same trajectory here, which I think is a positive thing as well. And, I mean, I hate to put pressure on any athlete, but I think... Rashida Atalake, she's, she's the youngest of a lot. She's only 15 years old. She's already six foot tall. She's got, she's got the perfect sort of physique. And in terms of potential and development, you definitely see so much more to come there. I mean, she's the one who's got, probably going to improve more than any of them over the next few years. So it's, I think it's, um, it's definitely, there's definitely a lot more to come there. Um, but, but to answer your question, how, why is it just women? I think that's just, that's just pure coincidence. Ian, and, and look, you've been around this scene for, for a long time now. You've seen uh, loads of different uh, regimes come and go in Athletics Ireland. <laughs> even, it, even names come and go for the organisation itself. Like, does it, is, the, is this sort of happy coincidence of all of this happening around this time does that feel like an opportunity now? As you say, there are gaps in the coaching structure. It, maybe this is a moment that they can use to, to fill those gaps, to, to decide, like, OK, let's take this, this, this fantastic thing that has happened and, and, and use the, leverage it into, into something more organised, more structured. Yeah, definitely. And like, there's no more excuses anymore. We used to harp on about facilities and indoor tracks and the, weather. the lack of the lack of weather and all that kind of stuff. You know, we have a beautiful indoor arena. Um, 
you know, which is slowly making an impact. And like you go back to an athlete like I mentioned at a lake age, like she actually won an Irish senior indoor championship there last March. I think that's the first time I saw her run on the indoor track. So like that's that's there. Um, but you're right, the opportunity is there. But one thing I've noticed as well, and let me go back to you mentioned like being around the sport for a long time. And I think you know for years we had we had we had we had elite athletes, whether it was Durville O'Rourke mm. or David Gillick or whoever or Mark Carroll on the track, and we had a high standard. Like that standard for whatever reason kind of just dropped off. And we've seen other sports now. We've seen it in rugby. And look at the standard we expect now in rugby. Like, it's not good enough to compete anymore. Like, we expect people to succeed. And we see it with Irish boxing and even to our own extent in domestic sports with, a, with GA. Like, there's, a, there's a high level here. Like, if people want to be, there's no sort of, um, there's no shortcuts. And I think, I, think, I think that's kind of trickled down a little bit as well, where like, people say, look, we, we, we're not, we're not, we may not be better than everybody else, but we're just as good. We, you know, and and that, if that means winning medals on the major state to, to grab attention, I think that's that's part of it as well. I think the sport realizes like that, you know, and there's, and there's still, you know, there's still a long way to go. And by the way, we have a, the real, the real, I suppose, test of the sport is that there's a European championship next month, obviously senior championship in Berlin. And this, this is the proper European championships. They're, they're every two years, but it's only every, every four years, but they have the full program of events, marathons, walks, all of that. So I suppose this will be the test of exactly where it is on the senior stage. I mean, we have obviously Thomas Barr, before the meter hurdles, Kieran McGeehan, um, and some of these young athletes. I'm not sure if the relay team will run yet or not, but there's, there's a possibility that they will. So we'll see there where it is at the senior stage. And that, you know, the, 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 that might be a slight wake-up call to see where the sport is at at, at the senior level. So that might be, that might be, you know, sort of hold fire on that one to see where it's at. But I think certainly going back to your original point about the, 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 the young athletes, there, there is something there. And even if, like, even if a small percentage of them do come through, I think it's only a matter of time before. And this will, this will be our Olympic team in, you look ahead, so maybe not Tokyo, but what is it, Paris 2024. Mm. I, I guarantee you, like some of these names, Sarah Healy, Gene Apke Moses, possibly even Akira Neville, they, they will be on, they will, they will be definitely representing Ireland on the senior stage because they, they've got a taste for it now and the ambition is there and I think the belief is there as well. And you listen to the Relay Girls yesterday, or sorry, on Saturday, and they were talking about it saying that like, going to that starting line, they really believed they were going to win medals. Like, they never doubted it. It was only questions like, will it be gold or silver or bronze? And I think that's a, that's a change in mindset as well, which can only, can only, um, can only augur well as, as, they, as they carry that through to the senior stage. And of course, it only augurs well for a jobbing athletics correspondent looking to get uh, stuff into the paper uh, against the better nature of, uh, of the readership. <laughs> Yeah, well, look, I mean, as I just said, I've been around, you know, I was, just, I was actually writing about it on Saturday, and off the top of my head, like, words we use for athletics, like, irrelevant and marginal and yeah. dead and dying and all these, you know, I mean, it's, the, the sport has been on its knees. I mean, I, I like, totally accept that, like, you know, and, and the great thing about this is, like, no one's mentioned doping or drugs because there's nothing here where you kind of go, oh, well, hang on a minute. It's like, it's, it's believable. And I, it goes back to the point about the sport. I mean, everybody can relate to running or jumping or whatever it is. It's, it's still the, the purest of sports. And I think, that's why I, I always knew athletics would survive. It's got this, it's got this ability just to recycle itself, and despite the, <laughs> the sort of the prophets of doom, I think, I think the sport will will survive for a long time. Yes. Excellent. Listen, Ian. Thanks a million for checking in with us. My pleasure. Yeah. Okay. Let's try, let's try and make it three weeks in a row next week. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of the show. Talk Good to luck. You soon. Thanks, Ian. Bye. The brave new world of the super eights is with us, Pat, and um, you're not all that overly impressed by it. Well, they, they were slightly. It was slightly lacking in quality over the weekend. It was a bad weekend for it to start on. Yeah, I'd put it that way. Yeah, uh, Keith Duggan uh, was there for the whole weekend, so presumably is full of the joys of it. Thanks for joining us, Keith. 
How's it going, Malachy? Good, good, good. What did you make of it all? Yeah, I felt it was underwhelming. I think everybody there felt it was underwhelming, including the participants. Uh, it was just a very strange sort of atmosphere. Um, I mean, look, I think it's it's well known by now that when Crow Park isn't full, it can it can just seem like a very strange place. Like even on the Saturday evening, we had fifty five thousand people there, but it just felt very very sleepy um, and lethargic for long periods. Um, so in a weird way, I think it'll be. Um, next weekend before we can properly evaluate the sort of potential of of this uh of this concept you know do you know what's interesting actually i was thinking about this yesterday um when uh there, there was such an exodus uh after the monaghan kildare game and i presume there was something similar on saturday night uh because these are league games essentially yeah. uh it's not like quarterfinal double headers in the past where you'd kind of you might stay on after the first game to see who'd come out of the second game. Yeah. Um, this is essentially a league game. You come, exactly. you watch it, you get out the door and head away up the road. Exactly. I mean, you know, for years, like people, when they were talking about the need to revitalize or change up the championship, they always use this uh, we need something like a Champions League format sort of cliche. And the thing about that was. Everyone forgets the Champions League is, is pretty dull until it reaches the knockout stages. And I think we just saw the beginnings of that there over the weekend. Um, you know, nothing was decided. So there's no real euphoria or no real despair or disappointment either. Um, I mean, the Galway had a very, very big win over the weekend, but it wasn't quite the same as a knockout championship win over Kerry. Kerry are still there. Galway still have a sort of a you know, pretty, pretty difficult task ahead of them straight away. They're down Paul Conroy now, who, you know, he's a huge, uh, huge figure on that team. So you're right. I mean, you could see it in Kevin Walsh's um, attitude after the game. He wasn't really interested on sort of sitting back and dwelling on what was a significant moment. He was immediately thinking to, uh, to the next round. And that's even, I think maybe informs the way some of the teams play like like I couldn't believe the amount of grime all in and caterwauling on uh, RTE on Saturday night over the dubs playing keep ball like yeah. they're playing in the first pool match of it's essentially you know they're, they were 3-0 up uh, or 3-1 up I'd say at the end of the first game of the World Cup what do, what do they want to do go on and win 5-1 it doesn't matter they, you know, they're going to play keep ball. They're, they have a game next week in Oma. What else are they supposed to do? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, it, it was inevitable that we're going to do that. I mean, they've done that in all Ireland finals, so yeah, you know, they're not going to do anything else at this stage. Um, plus, it just—I mean, it, it was just the logical thing for them to do to try and spread spread the field of Donegal a little bit and draw Donegal out and you know try and try and strike where where, where the space was. But uh, yeah, I mean. That's you. You're going to see a lot more of that, I imagine. Keith, uh, Kerry were extremely disappointing yesterday in Croke Park. Their young guns absolutely didn't fire at all. What did you make of their performance? I thought I felt I felt the whole game was 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 quite peculiar. Neither side were impressive over the first sort of forty minutes. Really, um, it was as if they were both really both 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 squads managers just really really determined not to slip up rather than just go out and win it. And they were kind of feeling each other out, and it, you know, it felt like one team was going to make a decisive break, and Galway just improved that a little bit more over the over the sort of the third quarter of the match. But yeah, for Kerry, um, 
It was a, it was a bit of a setback. No one really performing. Mean, obviously, David Clifford did extraordinary well out of sort of living on living on scraps. But apart from that, um, yeah, they had very few bright spots all over the field, and uh, they're. I mean, it's a very very difficult task from now next week up in up in Clonus, and that's the thing. I mean, it, it that becomes a fascinating match, and even though it isn't a knockout match, it. In, in many ways it is so you know again we we may see um we may see a different side to this to this concept uh, ne- next next sunday next sunday afternoon what really struck me about Kerry Keith uh, and I was at their their monster final against Cork and and you know everybody came out of the monster final going well look how bad are Cork really what what are we, what do we know about Kerry the one thing that I came away from that thinking that I knew about Kerry was that they were all about pace and not just pace in the legs, but pace in the tackle, pace in their speed of thought. They were so fast. There was so much speed to them. Yeah. And yet they just looked so lethargic yesterday or something. And I, I and it it really struck me after a while that maybe we had overlooked the fact that they had six guys playing their first ever championship game in Croke Park yesterday. And youth is great. Uh, when everybody is snappy and fast and pacey and all that, but when they when they were playing like that and no great no great snap to them, they actually looked like six apart from Clifford, but they actually looked like a young team kind of getting lost against a, a grizzled older stronger team. Exactly, yeah, I, I did think that was the one thing that was sort of overlooked in in much of the analysis leading leading up to the match. Um, that Galway team have sort of they've they've learned several hard lessons over the past number of years, and some of them from Kerry, yeah, exactly, yeah. So they were they they they're at a stage where they know they need to sort of um, make the breakthrough to the next step, and it, it was critical that they won that game for 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 that reason. Um, and plus, Galway have a lot of pace as well. You know, they have a lot of pacey markers, and they were able to cope with. Um, with several of the uh, several of the strike runners that that that, that Kerry have, um, and just Kerry 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 just struggled to, to to break them down. And plus, as well as that, I mean, they had opportunities. They kicked some wides that they just won't normally kick, particularly in the first half. So, you know, I don't think they'll be as bad again. Kerry will have that big challenge now next week in Clonus. Malachy, you were in Croke Park. What what did you make him? Monaghan Kildare was arguably the best of the four games of the weekend. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely uh, the tightest. Um, there was definitely a sense with 10 minutes to go that it was there for either team. I, I, funny, I was I was sitting beside uh, somebody from a rival podcast. I, I don't know if they would regard us as a rival, but we'll, we'll regard them. Um, uh, with 10 minutes to go, he was going, God, both teams would take a draw now. And I was going, absolutely not this is the game to win. You know, like, you've got Monaghan of Kerry next week at home, Kildare of Galway next week at home. Neither of those are are guaranteed draw, even never mind a guaranteed win. Go and win the game. And, like, as ever, I was kind of sitting there watching Monaghan going, this is going to come down to uh, whether Conor McManus can kick the winner or equaliser in the last uh, last five ten minutes, and he he kicked the go ahead score. Then Rory Began came up and kicked a forty five. Um, Monaghan are are they are a seriously strong team. They're so compact. They have they have leaders everywhere, uh, and they they came through it. I thought they were the better team for a lot of it, but 
they didn't um, they didn't put Kildare away. Uh, they had some bad wides in the first half. They're still. They still are a bit. They need a bit of ruthlessness in front of goal. They don't. You very rarely see them palm home a goal the way you see Tyrone and Donegal and Dublin do. Like Shane Carey had a shot on the turn uh, in the first half yesterday, where a, just a bit of a camera head. He had Darren Hughes inside him. Play a one-two, tap it into the net. Carl O'Connell went through in the second half. Carl O'Connell was excellent throughout. Uh, Shot from 20 yards, the keeper made a save, it bounced up and he punched the the rebound over the bar. Again, man inside, take a one-two, palm it into the net. They're just, they're going to need goals if they're going to beat Kerry. They're going to need goals if they're going to go a lot further. They are what they are. They're a very tough team to play against uh, and they have reliable-ish Scores like McManus is obviously a reliable scorer. Began very reliable from from freeze. I don't know how far they they can go, but that was a great win for them to get. It would have been they'd have been killing themselves if they'd come out of that even with a draw. They had to win it. In an odd sort of a way, from a Monaghan perspective, I think they would have almost preferred Kerry to win yesterday so that they could get them on the hop in Clonus. Like Kerry are going up there next Sunday it's going to be some occasion a knockout like, game a knockout game like Monaghan people would never have dreamed of bringing Kerry to Clonus for a championship game like I know it was an underwhelming weekend for the Super 8s to, to begin but my god there'd be nowhere better in the country to be than Clonus next Sunday at 4 o'clock or sorry at 3 o'clock be down the town in Clonus uh, with with the Kerry bus snaking in because there's only one way for the buses to come in. Stand down the bottom of the hill and watch the Kerry bus come in and give out give it yards and then cheer the Monaghan bus up the hill. Like that's going to be a real occasion. Um, I think Monaghan people would would prefer Kerry were coming up there thinking that they were kings of the world uh, rather than with a real grievance. So it's going to be some occasion now next next weekend. Keith, like we were saying, Dublin did a very professional job on Saturday night. Will Donegal be disappointed with the game or will they take something from it? I think they'll be marginally disappointed. Um, and probably, you know, more so today and tomorrow than immediately after the game because they they, 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 they kind of they were playing Dublin when Dublin weren't um, certainly operating um, at, at, at optimum levels and they they played themselves into trouble. They played Dublin into the game uh, over the first half hour uh, with with sort of uh, you know ser- several errors and just had they been a little bit more maybe clinical themselves and maybe tried to push Michael Murphy into a more advanced position they they could have they they could have troubled uh, they could have troubled Dublin a little bit more than they did. I mean, it was commendable that they didn't they didn't fold after um, after Nal Scully's second goal. I think there were seven points down. It looked it looked kind of ominous for a few minutes but instead they I think they they, they, they reeled off four four points uh, four points in the trot and after that they were they kind of just you know both teams just traded scores and the game played itself out never really felt that they were going to make that sort of charge um, to, to, to really really uh, trouble Dublin so I think you know they, they just might they just might have made a they might have made a slightly better stab at it I felt yeah they, it in an odd kind of way, I definitely felt like for the first half an hour of that game, Keith, you know, that was the best football of the yeah. weekend. It, it, you know, they were 
they were pretty stride for stride there. You know, they let Dublin out to a small early lead, but, you know, didn't yeah. phase them at all. Uh, came back and overtook them. And they they looked almost like the team would, I don't know, the the most potential of, of the of the yeah, contenders. Look, they, they did a lot of good things. I mean, one one positive that Declan Bonner will take out of it is the fact that, you know, Jamie Brennan, there was a lot of pressure on him given Pat, Patrick McBrady's absence to sort of step up. I felt he really did that. He scored three good points from play. And I know people pointed out that he, you know, he, he blazed a couple of half goal chances wide. But, you know, he had the composure to to try and take it on. You know, he tried to beat his man. He tried to do the right thing. And that's that that, that was encouraging. Um, Ryan McHugh, again, any time he got the ball, uh, he, he just he, he just troubles Dublin. It was I think Dublin, I think they fouled nine times and six of those fouls were in Donegal's half. And the reason for that was that once they were turned over, they immediately just smothered the guy who'd, who'd won the ball. Uh, you know, halted the play and regrouped. Um, I think it was it was alluded to in this on the game last night. But I mean, Dublin they've become they've become more and more cautious in their old age. You know, I think at one stage uh, there was uh, there was fifteen men behind the ball when they had a when they had a six points lead, which was uh, it was it was a crazy thing to see. You know, it was almost like two thousand and eleven in reverse. So um, things have changed. Whereas. Uh, Whereas Donegal were pushing men forward with abandon at times, so uh, yeah, things have come full circle. Uh, just to touch on the on the the fourth game, and we'll do it briefly enough because it was a bit of a washout. I I think the one thing that it's that we did sort of worry about coming into this, um, you know, we call it the Super Eights, but you know there aren't eight super teams, and there might not even be four or five, you know, and. Uh, now I expected more out of us coming, but like they were just they gave up the ghost very easily in that second half. Yeah, it was a big, it was a big setback for 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 us coming. Um, they seemed to just they seemed to just die out there. Um, they play a very open game, and maybe maybe that game will take you so far uh, in, in Connacht or even in provincial grounds, but just in in Crow Park where. You know, spaces are there to be exploited. It leaves you very vulnerable, and you know, Roscommon discovered that to their to their cost again the next day. So, I think afterwards, Kevin McStay was uh, referring to the fact that maybe they're going to have to look at playing a less attractive brand of football um, going forward. But you know, yeah, it leaves them. It leaves them in a fairly. Um, in a fairly fragile place facing Donegal next week. I, I, however, I do think they'll be they'll be a lot stronger in in Hyde Park. And I suppose that again is the flip side. That's the that's the real upside of yeah. these games now because next weekend is the weekend. Yeah. You know, like every everybody is playing for something next weekend. Exactly. And if anyone thinks Russ Common is are going to just uh, you know sort of shrug and accept their fate because of one bad day, uh, you know they're they're, they're mistaken. Um, in a weird way, it's uh, it's. It's a kind of a worrying assignment for Donegal because they're expected to win this game, and they're still, you know, no more than Kerry. They're they're quite a young team still, so they're they're learning as they go as well. Excellent. Listen, Keith, thanks a million for uh, checking in with us, and uh, we will talk to you as the rest of the summer spools out. Thanks, Malachi. Thank you, Keith, and we thanks very much. We had Ian on earlier talking athletics, and we had Emmett from Istanbul. Thanks to them as well. Thank you, Pat. Thanks, Malachi. Thanks to Declan behind the desk, and we'll see everybody next weekend or next Monday, indeed. Take it easy, folks.